a choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expanding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this episode, we have the director of the Ayahuasca Foundation, which will be linked in the show notes, ayahuascafoundation.org. It's located in Incos, Peru. He runs an entire retreat ceremony center down there, guys. He has the only, the first only government-funded research published in the journal Frontiers in Psychiatry. Uh, he's got the Psychedelic Medical Association, like... He is phenomenal. Uh, he shows about his personal healing journey that happened with ayahuasca, uh, the bioluminescent plant that they also integrate into these ceremonies, um, and most importantly, the dieta and the integration uh, that he gets to, guys, is phenomenal. This is easily one of the greatest conversations I've ever had with anyone. Uh, how to find this show, guys, located down in the show notes, of course, expandingrealitypodcast.com. Uh, that's where the links to all socials, everything else. Also, we have some merch now down there, so go check out the t-shirts and stuff like that linked down there as well. So let's get to it, guys. Uh, without any further ado, Carlos Tanner. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, an extremely special episode. We have Carlos Tanner of the Ayahuasca Foundation here to hang out with us today. Uh, you do some incredible stuff, man. Um, you reached out via email. I was blown away by your story. I went and checked out your website, which of course I'll be linking in the show notes. Uh, so you guys just go down there and check him out. Uh, Carlos, for the audience of mine that's not too familiar with you, do you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, thanks for having me on this show, by the way. Yeah, my name is Carlos Tanner. I'm the director of the Ayahuasca Foundation. We're located in the Amazon rainforest outside of Iquitos, Peru, a nonprofit that's been operating for 12 years now. We do some interesting stuff. We offer ayahuasca retreats, which is now becoming pretty well known, but we also offer uh, educational courses. So we just finished our 45th eight-week initiation course. We'll be starting our 46th course uh, in two weeks. And so that's kind of a unique offering that we have. And, um, and now for the last five years, we've been hosting medical research that was funded by the British Medical Research Council. So it's the first ever government funded ayahuasca research, but it was also the first ever epigenetic research on a psychedelic. And the first study results were recently published in a journal called Frontiers in Psychiatry. And those results showed that there was actually an epigenetic change or a change in gene expression as a result of attending one of our retreats. And then there was an evaluation that kind of backed that up that showed that symptoms of depression had significantly decreased as a result of attending the retreat, but also six months later with no treatment, the symptoms of depression had continued to decrease. And that coincided with the epigenetic expression being changed or really the, a specific gene called SIGMAR1 that's associated with the memory of traumatic experiences. 
and that was deactivated. So, you know, that could suggest that a person is cured or at the very least, we demonstrated that there was long lasting benefit from the treatment. So it's, it's been super exciting. So we're doing, you know, healing programs, educational programs, as well as doing research that demonstrates the efficacy of the plant medicine tradition in the Amazon. It's incredible. And the way that you talk about epigenetics, I mean, this is some Bruce H. Lipton stuff. This is some advanced black belt type psychological above genetics type stuff. This is transcending, you know, uh, generational timelines. This is you fixing things in your past if you want to get woo-woo for it. And uh, past lives, I mean, I've heard the expression that uh, the ayahuasca ceremonies and the plant medicine grandmother ayahuasca is so beneficial that it's basically like five to six years of psychotherapy and about three to six hours. So the process of this is very hard on your body, but it demands a lot because it gives you a lot. That's one of the ways that I've heard plant medicines be referred to as well, but that's the thing. That's that's what it takes. But um, in, in venturing on this type of endeavor is something that has been beneficial for a lot of people, myself included, man. I'm not the same. Once you get it in your blood, Grandmother Ayahuasca, it's a spirit that stays with you. And I, I love... Everything about this, I think that this scientific approach that you've taken with this also marries with the benefits, and this is the next step for us. I think pharmaceuticals, this is the next step, is marrying things like this and all other concoctions. And you do something fascinating with the uh, bioluminescent tree, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But the level at which your attention is on the benefits of this is what's so impressive with this, man. And you've got your own personal story about how it's benefited your life as well. Do you mind telling us about that? Sure. Yeah. So uh, back in 2003, I was on paper a success story. You know, I had graduated from the University of Massachusetts with a degree in graphic design. And in 2003, I was working for the Valley Advocate as their production manager, as a graphic designer who had worked up to the managerial position. I created the paper. Uh, at least I contributed to the creation of the paper. Obviously, I didn't make it all by myself, but um, I laid out the ads that I also made. And I, you know, I, I did the work that I had been trained to do. You know, I was like pretty much like exactly what we want to be doing. I lived in a beautiful house. I drove a nice car. I had a cute girlfriend. Like I had checked off all the boxes, but yet I was spiraling downward into drug addiction, uh, opiate addiction, really, because I was so conditioned to believe my success was achieved, but yet the satisfaction that I had expected to come with that wasn't there. And so I accepted that this was a reality, that you are successful and you're unfulfilled. You know, like that was just the reality. So what do you do? Well, you just start drinking and doing drugs and, you know, you develop bad habits as a way to cope with your success. Um, of course, there were elements before that. You know, no one just like gets a good job and then ends up being a heroin addict. You know, I had trauma uh, from my life, uh, from my childhood. And then that certainly was a contributing factor. But I didn't see it until I had reached the, the pinnacle of success. There was always some other excuse for why, you know, I wasn't feeling good or why I was depressed. Why well, I just haven't gotten my career job yet. It's like this dead end job that I'm doing, or I haven't gotten my degree yet. So it's just like, I'm dealing with all the stress of school. Like everything always had an answer until I was like, there's no other thing. 
you know, there's, there's, there's no other thing. So I found myself uh, deeply depressed and using a numbing agent like heroin or any opiate I could get my hands on. And that really started to spiral my life downward, leading to me waking up in my car underwater because I had blacked out behind the wheel after drinking at a bar and doing drugs and drove into a river. Luckily, the window was open in my car and I was able to survive that ordeal. And at that point, I made a declaration to myself and really to the universe that I would do something drastic to make a big change in my life, to save my life. And that for me was to go to the Amazon rainforest and to attend ayahuasca ceremonies led by uh, an indigenous Guarandero or a Peruvian. He's, he wasn't actually indigenous. His name was Don Juan Tangoa. And that drastically changed my life. That's for sure. Uh, but during my time with Don Juan, he told me that it was my path to be a healer, that it was my life's destiny. And he invited me to be his student or his apprentice. So I accepted that offer because it was confirmed in my own personal experiences in those ayahuasca ceremonies. And in 2004, I moved in January, January 4th, 2004, I moved to the Amazon rainforest and I moved into his house and lived with him for four years. I did, uh, you know, what you could call an apprenticeship with him. And when I finished those four years, uh, and not that there was some sort of graduation ceremony or something, it just worked out that I met my wife um, and decided to move into my own place uh, with her. And, and that's when I came up with the idea for the Ayahuasca Foundation, which we made a reality in 2009. You know, I picture when you say going down there uh, to do an apprenticeship that it's like a Harry Potter type of thing because you are getting an advanced course in the mystic arts of some degree. And, you know, I picture instead of them giving you like an owl or something like in that movie, they give you a sapo frog. Right. And uh, this is like your little buddy that you hang out with. You know, it's part of your graduation. Um, you know uh, w what you said about. Uh, being punished for your success. I, I think that there's so much to that, man. And as you're telling your story, you beat me to it because it is part of your story that that is the inevitable conclusion that you find our society in. Uh, the drinking, the opioids, the prescription drugs. I mean, these things are so prevalent. And it is, it seems to be, like you said, like the um, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's, it's that's what you have to strive for and look forward to is being so depressed because you're not living your true purpose and you've been caught up in the trap like all of us, man. I mean, we all go through this of that you got a, the nuclear family thing and then, and that's great in some respects and that resonates with some people, but I think especially your experience and then the fact that you found out that you were supposed to be a healer and doing the work that you do now uh, is a tremendous show to what healers the healer's journey actually is because you've got to have something like a drive your car uh, into a river, barely escape with your life for people to look at and say, well, damn, at least I didn't do that. I didn't get that far. But my God, if this changed that man from the point of no return that he was at, then look, think of what it could do for me and my, you know, issue with my neighbor uh, or my issue with my mom or something like that, past traumas. Uh, so when, whenever you talk about um, that being your inevitable conclusion, do you think that that was always meant to be part of your story? Or do you think that you could have, have you ever been exposed to ayahuasca before any of that? Well, I thankfully started kind of investigating or becoming interested in shamanism uh, when, if I wasn't, when I went to college, it was shortly before going to college. I started dabbling in psychedelics in my senior year of high school. So I took mushrooms and uh, and started taking LSD and 
and started smoking weed like every day. Um, and, and then I brought that in to college. I'm pretty sure I had a sheet of acid when I got there first day. Um, and so my psychedelic exploration, like was definitely amplified when I was kind of living on my own in, in my college days. Uh, but I also started to read Carlos Castaneda and also Michael Harner's book, uh, the way of the shaman and Michael Harner's book start started, it should still start, but he removed the chapters um, that was that were about his own beginning. And that was with ayahuasca. So I was introduced to ayahuasca by Michael Harner in his previous publication of the way of the shaman. And before, thankfully, he removed those chapters and that started my my interest in ayahuasca. And I, I wound up getting a job for my university where I had to sit in front of a computer with the Internet, but not really have much to do. So I gave myself a project to research medicinal plants. And ayahuasca was definitely on my list at the top of that list. And I began to compile using the printer of the office where I worked to just print out more and more information. I had this file cabinet at home where I was like, you know, keeping all my files on these various interesting plant medicines, most of which were psychotropic and psychedelic. And, but ayahuasca definitely was like clearly the most interesting. And so I read, you know, William Burroughs accounts. And of course, then Terrence McKenna became a big influence in me. So I was definitely well aware of ayahuasca. And honestly, like the specifics that I left out of my, my story were that I, you know, woke up in my car and, and had that ordeal. And then a week later, maybe 10 days later, I got an email from a friend of mine who had been traveling, uh, actually teaching English in Japan for two years and then traveling back by way of Peru. And she happened to meet these two guys, Roman and Eugene, on the boulevard because she wanted to find a place to smoke a joint. And, and they said they were going to this shaman, Don Juan, and and to drink ayahuasca. And she remembered me talking to her about ayahuasca several years earlier when I was, you know, reading and, and experimenting in, in, in college because we both went to the same college. And so she thought, I'm going to write to him and see if he wants to come down. She had no idea, you know, what was going on in my life. You know, she had no idea that I had any addiction issues and not and definitely not that I'd driven my car into a river. So the timing which I feel is actually very important and maybe even a topic of discussion on its own. The timing was so, you know, coincidental or synchronistic that I took it to be a sign. You know, I was a big fan of already of the book, The Alchemist, you know, it talks about omens and like this was an omen. I had just made a declaration that I'm going to do something big and save my life. And then I get an email from someone I haven't seen in two over two years saying, hey, I'm in the Amazon rainforest. I met these two guys that know a shaman. And do you want to come down and drink ayahuasca with me? Like that doesn't happen. You know, that never happens unless the universe is trying to send me a message. So when I got on the plane to fly down to Peru, I wasn't going to try ayahuasca. You know, like my perspective had already gained the faith I needed. And to me, I think that faith was what actually like activated the medicine in me and probably expressed my abilities as a healer 
to this Corandero who pointed it out to me because I had faith. You know, I knew my life would be saved. This trip is going to change my life forever. I knew that. And, and, and you know, you hear a set and setting, like I had the ultimate set. I knew that my life would be drastically transformed for the better as a result of me doing this to go to the Amazon to drink ayahuasca with this shaman. And it was. And I think that especially now having seen, you know, 2000 people come through our center over the last 12 years, it's easy to see how much of a correlation there is with people's trust and faith in the outcome that has yet to be and what that outcome actually ends up being. Does that make sense? Absolutely makes sense. And back to what you said about the universe leaving you these things and her being completely unaware of it. I'm reminded of the matrix. Remember when it says, wake up, follow the white rabbit. And then that guy comes to get the uh, program or whatever from Neo and the girl invites him and then turns around, happens to have a tattoo of a white rabbit. Now that girl didn't sit there and say, I need to be here because this guy needs this sign. It just happened to be the sign that pushed him over the edge even though she was unconscious to her role that she played in changing his life. And this is the same thing that happened with you, but you have eyes to see it, which is so important. And it's so personal. This whole experience that we live on this plane, whatever this realm is, it's very, very personal. And it works in ways just exactly like what you just described. And you put it beautifully, man, Uh, the way you articulated, it was absolutely perfect. And the faith element to it is something that is a continuing theme with things like this, because they are life changing. So uh, tell me, about your first time what was that like oh oh, man i mean this was you got to remember this was 2003 um you know not many of us can maybe remember 2003 but ayahuasca was not well known you know i there were no articles about it no movies and documentaries about it like there was a couple books william burroughs terence mckenna you know but it wasn't well known at all and there were no retreat centers you know this wasn't like a thing yet and so while i had a contact you know i I had two people that were going to take me to this ceremony they didn't provide me any information on how to prepare they didn't tell me about any like counter indications or what the risks might be or how to optimize my experience it was basically just meet me in Iquitos and I'll take you to this shaman. And, um, and I was a heroin addict. I was using drugs every day and no one told me I shouldn't. So I didn't bring heroin with me, but I got to Lima and quickly bought Valium and, you know, I got weed like within an hour of being in Peru, I found weed because, you know, weed, is always around the next corner and and so i was smoking weed and taking valium on my way you know so i don't remember specifically if i took it that morning of my first ceremony but i definitely did the day before and i definitely smoked weed that morning i just don't remember if i did the valium that morning so i was polluted to say the least, you know, but I was like immediately polluted too. You're not like, a, you know, any drug addict's going to be polluted, but hopefully you can do your best to prepare for an experience. But no one had given me that preparation. So I wasn't eating any differently. And I certainly wasn't altering my lifestyle with regard to drugs. And that was very evident in my first ceremony. So I thankfully had a background in psychedelics. So I was fascinated by the, the, 
the depth of the visions, like just how crazy real this, I'd never seen anything like this before. This wasn't just swirling colors. This wasn't like a modification of what's actually there. This was like a whole nother dimension. Mm-hmm. And that was absolutely fascinating to me. But my physical self was destroyed that night. And so I threw up like 15 times. I crapped my pants. I actually like took my pants off and threw my underwear into the jungle and put my pants back on. I was crying in the fetal position outside in the grass, you know, like in the, in the jungle, but I was still fascinated, you know, like there was still this level of like, I can't believe how, how real this stuff is, you know? And again, that synchronicity that I mentioned played itself out in a, in the most incredible way, which I had no idea. But in the ceremony was the chief of the Achuari tribe because Don Juan lived with the Achuaris for several years and was a corandero and worked with their corranderos. And so the chief had come to him to ask for advice because a lot of the people in the tribe were getting sick. And, and so, and when I say chief, I mean, like, you didn't have to ask him, you know, you just look at the guy, he was an indigenous chief, like it was that kind of reality. And I didn't know I'd never been to an ayahuasca ceremony. So I guess that indigenous chiefs show up to ceremonies. And one, I definitely feel like that legitimized this shaman. I wasn't thinking that this is some show he puts on for tourists. This guy's not a tourist, that's for sure. And so that kind of gave me more faith that I'm in the right place with the right person. But also while I was in the fetal position crying, saying, why did I want to do this? And I'll never do this again. I watched him come out of the ceremony and there were no buckets, no you know, uh, mattresses. That was like tourism style adaptations. And, um, and so I was outside because that's where you had to go. If you wanted to throw up, there were no bathrooms either. So if you wanted to use a bathroom, you had to go outside somewhere. And he came out, just walked out pretty casually and looked around for a spot that he felt was good and bent over, threw up just like a champ, you know, and, stood back up when he was done and went to go back into the ceremony and happened to see me. And I'm like looking up at him, you know, like curled up in the fetal position. And he just, he didn't speak Spanish. And um, not that I would have understood too much, but he just gave me the hand, you know, like with the wave of his hand, like come back in and man, like he was such a presence, you know, such a like, impressive human being and i just immediately it was like yeah 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 and i stood up like dusted myself off and went back in and that was a huge lesson for me right there because up to that point i was like why would anyone do this you know like why would anyone subject themselves to this torture and and now it was clear it's not torture yeah It's my torture. Yes. Yes. I brought this on because of what's going on with me personally. This isn't happening with the other people in this ceremony. And and so now it's time for me to take a real good look at me and not project my experience out as if that's what ayahuasca does, 
this is what ayahuasca is doing to me because of what I am and who I am and what I've been doing. And so that really helped me to kind of put the perspective in the proper place where I'm looking at myself and then also to recognize, which is what came from me looking at myself, that my fear was actually creating so much of this torture. You know, I was so scared and clearly that guy wasn't scared. And so I want to be like that guy. And thankfully, I had a couple of days to decide and to process. And I decided I'm going to go back and do it again, but I'm not going to be afraid this time. And I went into the second ceremony with the phrase, I'm going to be a man tonight. I'm going to be a man. And I sat like him, like a chief in, in, you know, and I, I like took mannerisms, but more importantly, when the first vision started to come, I just said straight to them, I'm not going to be afraid. And what had been demons in my perception the first time turned into angels the second time because of my response to them. And, and that is probably the most important lesson we could all learn in our lives, right? It's the deepest, I mean, because everything you said there was incredible, man. Um, it's the deepest part of this because, yeah, uh, it, it does feel like these are lessons that you need to learn, but that's all they are. They're not scary unless they need to be scary for you to learn that. They're not um, inviting and welcoming unless you call for that and have that intention for that to be the result. It shows you what you need to see. And that's one thing about Grandmother Ayahuasca that's very, very different from any other psychedelic. <clears throat> is it's embodied the spirit of this plant. And you say this, you know, and I mean, we talk about this with uh, psilocybin mushrooms as well, that it's kind of an entity, you know, it feels like its own thing. Um, and it feels like um, grandmother ayahuasca is a uh, spirit of the earth or from the earth. Uh, mushrooms feel like some sort of extraterrestrial type um, entity. It, it came here from somewhere else. Um, whenever you did your uh, journey, and what's interesting about what you said also is that people who embark on psychedelic journeys for their own benefit, um, it it's honestly, t in my mind, a very brave thing. And it's not something that I considered until just recently after studying a lot more about ayahuasca and after my own experience. Uh, it, it takes a lot of balls uh, to, to endeavor one of these experiences and to really heal from it because there's no off switch. There's no like um, parachute. You know, there's no way to bail out of the experience. You're there for the ride. And it's a hell of a ride. Uh, and it and it all, like you said, depends on your disposition. It depends on your intent going in. I love, though, that you found that chief to be such a presence, like you said, and then you embodied that for your second endeavor. And that's what made all the difference. That's what made the mental switch for you. It's the same entities. They just appear differently because that's what you demanded after a little bit of understanding. Let me ask you, whenever you came in and did this the first time, so you're with Don Juan. You're with these people. Did they mention anything about setting an intention about a dieta? It seems like you just walked right in. Were they so? How did that work? Because usually that's a requirement for it. I mean, or it's a suggestion, recommendation for you to get the most out of it. And I'm sure that you guys have similar requirements with dietas and making sure that you clean out a little bit um, before you undertake that experience. Why do you think that you were able just to walk in and drink without uh, any preparation like that? Yeah, I, well, I love that question, and it has almost a comical uh, story to it. But you know, if if we could try to put ourselves into an indigenous culture and and understand that the curandero or the shaman 
um, is the, the healer. Curandero might be the better word because it, it literally is a part of curar, like a cure or healer. Um, and that's a term that's used in the Amazon rainforest. The curandero in every tribe is the doctor. And so if you're sick, you go to the doctor. Now, the doctor's not like, oh, you're sick? Start eating healthy for a couple of weeks. And after that, come and see me. Like, that wouldn't happen. You would just go straight to the doctor. And the doctor would give you ayahuasca or have an ayahuasca ceremony to diagnose you, to understand, like, what's going on. And, um, and that wouldn't happen with some preparation time. And so the idea of the dieta or the diet, as I call it, because maybe we can talk about dieta later. And I, there is a big distinction for me between the two that I, I choose to use a different pronunciation to describe it. But the preparation, let's call it, is a, is a, a part. It's an adaptation that we are, have found as a result of tourism. So tourists don't just get sick and hop on a plane the next day to their doctor, to the shaman. They, we might do that to our doctor. We like call out the doctor, hey, I'm sick. I need to schedule an appointment. But um, in, in tourism, you make a plan. You're like, you know what? Let's go in August, you know, and it's like two months away. So if you know that you've got two months, mm. then why not do the best you can to make the most improvement. And then also, if you're in a community, like I was, you know, like putting out there in, in our imagination, you don't have a time limit. You're not like going to your, your corandero saying, hey, uh, I got to get back to, you know, like, in, I only have 10 days. So let's try to like wrap this up in the time I have, you know, you live there. The, the corandero is like, you know, a walk away. And so it's going to do, it's going to, you're, you're, you're ready to do whatever it takes in terms of how much time it will take. And, and yeah, the, the Coronadero will most likely say, Hey, I'm going to start giving you these plants while you're taking these remedies that I've prescribed to you. You need to stop eating this three things or you know you need to like change make these certain changes in your lifestyle that will help the treatment or you know enhance the effectiveness of the medicine i'm giving you so you know that's still a, a, an important component and it's from that component that we extrapolated the preparation diet if there is a reality based uh, in the tradition but it's not part of the tradition so you have two components one a tourist has time like they're planning weeks ahead if not months ahead so take advantage of that time and two they're actually on a limited time scale though because tourists typically don't just go forever they go they go for a two-week vacation or maybe even just one week and so they want to get the most out of that experience and that again lends itself to, okay, well, try to set everything up the best you can so that the parts that you can accomplish on your own can just be focused on rather than dealing with some of the extra stuff that you could do right now. You know what I mean? 
You know, and I have it recommended. I know a lot of people that do this, and I know a lot of people that have uh, facilities like, well, not like yours, but facilities that are trying to be like yours that I haven't recommended for anyone because I don't, I don't want somebody to go down there and have the, what do they call them, the gringo shaman experience, you know, where somebody's sitting there on their phone the whole time, or I've heard these horror stories of these people getting right into ceremony, uh, fake shaman, like a white dude going down there with dreadlocks just saying, oh, I'm a shaman, I can do this, and then people get fall, fall into that trap if they're not guided in the correct way and then they have this experience where the guy takes all their money and just leaves and leaves them in the jungle you know having during this experience which would be a hell of an introduction to ayahuasca uh, but it's not one that's going to be the most beneficial for you because the, what you've done especially with the fact that you're delineating between the traditions and the adaptation uh, that tourism kind of uh, lends itself to but i i am definitely highly recommending your facility all the ways, of course, guys, to find Carlos and uh, the ayahuascafoundation.org will be linked down in the show notes, so please go check that thing out. Your website's phenomenal. The testimony, testimonials are great. Uh, you had Zach, Zach Efron came down there. That's pretty cool. That's a hard flex. Um, was he singing high school musical songs in the middle of his um, experience? <laughs> no, man. No? Okay. <laughs> no, prop, mad props to, to Zach Efron. I mean, like you said, it, it takes balls, but um, Zach Efron is totally cool. The show being called down to earth really was poignant. I don't know, you know, how many millions of dollars that guy has. Clearly he's one of the most famous people on the planet, but he was so chill, like super normal person, really like uh, the kind of person that you'd want to meet and, and spend time with. And, and his partner, um, not, not his, his partner, but his show partner, like his co-host Darren Oline, he was awesome too. Um, Darren had drank ayahuasca like 20 years ago. Got you. But well, yeah, that, they were both awesome. And and really, like, I love to shout those guys out because they, they did such a service for me to, like, kind of legitimize the work that we're doing there just by having it be seen by so many people. Yeah, absolutely. And again, your facility, man, your your um, way of your tradition, your way of approaching this, your culture is what I'm so impressed with with this and the work that you do. So tell us about the study uh, that you're doing with the and the benefits that that's yielded. Yeah, so I mean, I think there will be a clear theme running through this talk about synchronicity uh, because I mentioned uh, Graham Hancock he wrote a book called supernatural before that he, you know, he, his, his passion has always been ancient civilizations and the study of them. And so he wrote a book, the sign and the seal about the pyramids of Egypt and probably one of his most popular fingerprints of the gods, which I definitely read. Nice. And uh, the sequel magicians of the gods is fantastic also, but he started doing tours of the pyramids of Egypt and, um, and a person that I, never uh, would have met, but named Christian Moran did that tour. He was a film student and he was a big fan of Graham Hancock's work. During that tour, Graham started talking about ayahuasca and that he was working on this new book and that he'd been to the Amazon and he'd been drinking ayahuasca and he was fascinated by it. And he thought that perhaps it was one of the roots of what we would call culture or even uh, civilization, but certainly like artistic expression. And that became a fascinating topic for this young man, Christian. And he contacted me because Graham Hancock's son had happened to meet me in Iquitos and had drank ayahuasca with me while I was living with Don Juan. And, 
And so Graham had recommended that that Christian contact me for more information about ayahuasca. Christian came down and ended up shooting the film Ayahuasca Diary. It's his first film as a graduate of film school. And in that film, we managed to heal a person who had cancer and in less than three weeks during the filming. And so it was, it was so cool, right? Like to have a film with a guy with cancer and we heal him and, and then he doesn't have cancer. It's now been, that film came out in 2008. It's been, you know, whatever, 13 years and he's still cancer free. And so long story short, Christian became the president of the Grant Town Foundation, a charity organization based out of Ohio. And when it, he came to decide what this charity should donate to, he decided to contact me. And he proposed that this charity could give me the money to build a research center and perhaps they could research ayahuasca plant medicine treatments and their efficacy. And so I accepted that offer and ended up using their donation to build what is now the Rio Spo Ayahuasca Retreat and Research Center. But I was not a researcher or a doctor or a scientist. And yet here I am building a research center and people would ask me, you know, what are you going to do in the research center? Pretty simple question. And I would say, I really don't know, but I believe that this is the path that I'm supposed to take. And, and so ayahuasca will figure it out. And that played itself out in a doctor named Simon Ruffle, a psychiatrist from the National Health Services in the UK, met one of our facilitators while he was on a break in Costa Rica. And they met in a bar randomly. He started talking about ayahuasca, convinced Simon to come and do one of our retreats, which he did when I met him. And he was so blown away, not just with his own experience, but as a psychiatrist just to witness the transformation and the other participants that he said to me, I would love to be able to do research on this, to which I replied, I'm building a research center right now, you know, and in my mind, again, I was like, that's the sign, you know, here it is, like, if you build it, they will come and here's the guy. And so he contacted a colleague of his, Nigenette Span, a psychologist from the NHS, and he came and did a program. And then he was blown away. The two of them decided, let's make a pilot study. They put it on their own credit cards and they used our center and the participants that coming to our programs as the participants of their study. And that was enough to demonstrate just how much we needed to research this. And they convinced the British Medical Research Council to give them a grant to do the study. And then that study expanded, you know, outside of the pilot into the epigenetics, which was a, a huge um, benefit, like a really great idea on their part to do that. And, and so we took care of basically everything um, in the sense that all of the participants of the study were people that had already signed up to do our programs. And the research was very like non-invasive in the sense that they were asking people to fill out evaluate psychological evaluations before the retreat and to collect uh, saliva samples. And then they asked them to 
to fill out the evaluation at the end of the retreat and collect saliva samples. And then they did a six month follow up. So we weren't like interfering with anyone's retreat experience. And of course, it was completely optional, although it was like 98% of the people that came to do our programs decided that they did want to participate. And, and so for that reason, they could operate on a very low budget. And the collaboration was just kind of like a match made in heaven, you know. And, and so then fortunately, the, the research was so profound, and they were able to get it published. And then that publication was picked up by Forbes and some other, uh, you know, magazines. And, and we did a video uh, segment on Gaia News recently about it. And uh, so it's been getting like attention. In fact, it was seen on Frontiers and Psychiatry's website, 98% of all the other are more than 98% of all the other articles on their website. So it was seen quite a bit. And, and that like gave us the ability to kind of convince that we should get further funding, which we have, and we'll be continuing with us a stage two study that will include an expanded look at the genes that we're looking at um, in the epigenetic aspect of it, but also to include minor trauma uh, as opposed to PTSD or childhood trauma and and chronic pain as well. So we're expanding the study now and and we look forward to seeing like more results. But if I can just comment on a couple things because there's a nuance that I think gets missed a lot and it's been a lot of what we talk about a lot, me and and the and the research team, uh, which is that you know what we're doing one is great because the research is actually done in context so it's not a clinical trial it is a cultural immersion but an observational study and and to me that's very important because the ayahuasca tradition originated and operates in a very distinct paradigm in that it's a very separate belief system you kind of alluded to it you know like the use of the word spirit is not something that you're going to find in modern science. The, the term just doesn't really exist in that paradigm. And that's the paradigm that most Westerners like you and I grew up in. And that's the reality that our science operates in. And so there's a real challenge when you're using what I'll call a materialist perspective to understand a non-material reality. And and so we've you know, been trying to navigate that. And the simplest way is just to look at the results. So we're not looking at the mechanisms. You know, we're not trying to decide like what chemicals uh, create certain reactions and things like that, because one, I don't think it's that important to understand if ayahuasca fixes you then ayahuasca fixes you. And that is what we should be looking at. But two, it takes the attention away from the process and, and, and puts it into this framework that just simply isn't a part of it. You'll never hear a shaman say, well, as long as the dimethyltryptamine is made orally active by a monoamine oxidase inhibitor, you'll be fine. You know, like that's like exactly ridiculous phrase you could ever possibly imagine. But likewise, you're not going to hear a, a medical doctor or a scientist say, so when the ayahuasca spirit came to you, what was the transformative effect of their messaging? You know, like, sorry, but like, they're just so different that they can't really exist in the same world together. And I want to point it out 
because we're now kind of in this uh, renaissance, as it's been called, the psychedelic renaissance. But yet that renaissance is still primarily in a materialist paradigm. And, and that, to me, is going to present a lot of challenges. But there's a key element of ayahuasca that I feel is, is, is kind of transferable or at least can begin to build that bridge of understanding. And that is the word ceremony. So you don't take ayahuasca the way that you take Prozac or the way that you take any drug in our culture, which is basically you pop the the bottle and you, you know, you, you pour it onto a, a spoon and you, you put it in your mouth or you take the pill out and you pop it in your mouth and you go about your day. That is not how ayahuasca is taken. It has to be taken in a ceremony. It is like without question. If you say that you drank ayahuasca, that is a sum up of that you attended an ayahuasca ceremony where ayahuasca was ingested and for the hours of the effect of ayahuasca you participated in this elaborate science of consciousness enhancement procedures that is what has been developing for so many years into this ceremony and that is to me incredibly important especially if we're going to start seeing the use of psychedelic in therapy we need to recognize and respect the elements of that science of procedure and use, what I refer to as consciousness enhancement. And honestly, that to me is the most favorable term because there's crossover. If I use a word like spirit, it's going to be lost in understanding. But, but consciousness enhancement seems to be like this great middle ground, you know, where everyone, no one, I have never heard anyone say, you believe in consciousness, you know, like, like that pretty well accepted, you know? And so what the greatest gem that we have, I feel to learn from by having these still intact indigenous cultures, which there aren't that many, but thankfully in the Amazon there are, is that we can learn how medicine can be used so that our consciousness interacts with the medicine and activates the medicine. I talked about it, you know, like my faith activated the power of that medicine and the transformation wasn't just the product of the medicine, even though I thank the medicine for it. And I even attribute the transformation to the medicine. It was definitely a collaboration with my thoughts and beliefs and attitudes and the effects of the medicine working together that created that healing effect and that transformation in my life. And, and that is the most important lesson that we have to understand how to better our own medical system, which is clearly not that great. Yeah, it's almost like the ultimate placebo uh, because it, it does take a it's a participatory type of a healing that you and the plant and the spirit, uh, the spirit of the plant kind of go through together. And it is the whole ceremony, man, the Ericana, like I loved every bit of it because it was it was immersive. You you put yourself into that state and it's all necessary. It's all part of it, but it's all it's it's magic. You know, yes, it's medicine, but you're tapping into something greater. And that's why consciousness enhancement is perfect, man. You're absolutely right. Usually the only argument on consciousness is whether it's non-local to the body or found in the brain or, you know, transmitted by the brain. But uh, consciousness is a concept we can all agree with and who wouldn't want to enhance that, right? Or at least find out the capabilities of the enhancement process to that. Now, to what you said about it being um, 
very different in the way that, uh, you know, because Rockefeller around the time of what the uh, Industrial Revolution set up uh, the, you know, they started discrediting the hell out of all the natural remedies that everybody was using before and to nefarious ends. But I mean, that's the time that education system started doing what it was doing. We went into this. I'm going to say era of uh, lizard people running the world. You know, it's a metaphor that I use for all the darkness. It's kind of hijacked our ability to enhance our own consciousness. But people have, there have been pockets of isolation, especially down in uh, the Amazon, that people have been maintaining this tradition. And then folks like yourself, Terrence McKenna, of course, Peter Gorman, all of these folks then stumble upon this type of an idea. And then we're able to utilize it into our world because like like we were talking about earlier, I do feel like this is the next step. I think that we're marrying the consciousness with the woo-woo, with the science, with everything. I think it's all part of it. But I also think we had to go through this era uh, that we are definitely a renaissance. I love the way you called it that. That's perfect. Uh, we had to go through that to know what that this was way more beneficial or that this was also an enhancement to that. So the science is beginning to catch up on this. And I think even with uh, Dr. Rick Straussman, you know, the uh, spirit molecule, uh, whenever you talk about research that's been done to that capacity, it kind of paves the way for legitimacy. But things like what you're doing, man, um, are are huge and beneficial. Do, do you find that or do you think that this will ever be legal in the States and something that's in um kind of encouraged or that there will be maybe even like medical centers that are, I don't know, government operated. I hope not. I hope they get their damn hands out of it. Uh, that will facilitate this type of stuff in the States. Oh man. I mean, this kind of stuff, I guess, is, uh, is the, the, the key to that question because do I think that it will actually be ayahuasca I think that it will be decriminalized and I don't think any attention will be given to it. So people aren't going to be going to jail for having ayahuasca ceremonies. And the reality is that there's very, very few people doing that anyway, because it's not like cocaine or something, you know, you're not like some dude is not on the street swinging ayahuasca cups, you know, there's, it, it's a, it's such a private uh, scenario anyway. Uh, so I do feel like there will be always this underground and kind of maybe this growing underground culture of what I could maybe refer to as traditional based ayahuasca use. But what I would see to your to your point of like whether it would be like at a hospital facility or that type of of use, of course, that we're going to see uh, pharmaceutical products in that light. So we're already seeing it, you know, there's ketamine therapy centers because ketamine is a pharmaceutical product. MDMA centers will probably be the next step because MDMA is a pharmaceutical product. So we will definitely see like real patentable million billion dollar investment type of uh, procedures before we see plant medicine, you know, because there's still this, you know, this war against nature in, in medicine, like you alluded to. And, and actually, thank you for bringing up the Rockefellers. If anybody wants to look into that, like highly recommend it because it might change your views on how modern or advanced our medical system really is. But, um, but yeah, one thing that you brought up that was like, the easiest example is that we we know the term placebo effect. And if you ask pretty much anyone, what is the placebo effect? They'll tell you, oh, yeah, that's when your mind heals you without any treatment or medication. But you think there is. And so you're kind of tricked into actually achieving real, documentable, verifiable, scientifically evidenced healing with nothing but your mind. And yet 
we are not just looking 1000% at that, you know, like, wait, what? Like, so let me get this straight. If I have the right setup, I don't need any medicine at all. I can just heal myself because my belief is so powerful that it will affect physiological changes and bring about my health. And we're not spending all of our funding to perfect this. And yet beyond that, we're not spending any money to perfect it. We're actually trying our best to remove the placebo effect from our studies, the the gold standard, double blind. Why is that the gold standard? Well, if you knew that you were taking, you know, like we don't want you to know because your knowing will have a, a direct influence, you know, and then we figured out actually that even if the person giving you the medicine in the clinical trial knows their knowing will have an effect. And so we we've recognized that consciousness has a tremendous influence. And that's why we're trying our best to remove it because we don't want consciousness to be involved in our study. We wanna just know what the chemistry is without consciousness. And then when we know that, we'll give it to you with consciousness. Like what? Like it's so like the most backward system I've ever heard. Why don't we acknowledge consciousness, respect the power it has, and devote all of our attention to figuring out how consciousness can work in our favor to the best degree that is possible. And guess what? That is what the ayahuasca tradition does. And that is what all of our ancestral traditions have done with their use of psychotropic plants, like like ayahuasca, San Pedro, peyote, iboga, all of them are a science of consciousness enhancement. And it's almost embarrassing that we can claim that we have an advanced system of medicine, yet we deny the presence and influence of consciousness in our healing practices is like kind of ridiculous. Dude, I could not agree more. And you said it perfectly. It It is. And if, you know, if whenever you look at things like the Rockefeller Foundation or modern medicine or, um, you know, the news, things like this, I think that they're all just inversions of reality. Everything that they tell you on the news to be scared of, don't be scared of that. You'll be fine. It's not even happening. Uh, same with the medical industry. If they tell you not, and the, and that's another great thing that you can find out when they make something schedule one, especially things that just grow on the earth, uh, that's how you know you're probably on to something there uh, because they don't want you utilizing it because of the massive benefits, man. And you don't get an opioid addiction because you've uh, you know been treating symptoms. You go to the core and the spirit of ayahuasca gets in you and messes around with stuff in there. That's what separates it out from all other psychedelics and all other plant medicines per se. So um, whenever you look at things like the placebo effect and I... I completely agree with you that if uh, that's why they're not doing double blind anymore because they don't want people to realize how powerful they really are or that you don't need them. You don't need a prescription pad to heal yourself. Um, but it does take some faith in the process, like you said. It takes either a degradation of your current paradigm to be able to see that or even a curiosity or even a desire to try something new. Or like you, you get to that point where you checked all the boxes, man. You did everything that society told you you were supposed to. You did it. And look where you ended up. And then you end up researching these esoteric or these, you know, not not really open in the in the public light type of um, ideas. And they're successful and they work, which is, again, it'll lead you to kind of the, oh, well, this is why it's hidden, because nobody profits off of this. Like they're not making a ton of money off of keeping me sick. You know, pharmaceutical companies want the, you know, the customer, not the cure. 
This is a completely different way of approaching it. This is the most altruistic medical science that I can think of to date because you are marrying these ancient traditions that have been known for a long time, man, and you're seeing the benefits of them in lieu of any prescription medication. And this, uh, again, to me, this is the next step. I, I feel like this is the most beneficial thing. I love what you're doing down there, man. And I love you as a person. Like, you're articulate as hell. Uh, you're so smart, and you seem so beneficial from this. I'm going to be joining you, and my wife and I will come down and join you on one of these for sure. Like I said, I know a lot of people that do this. I'm excited uh, to go down and do this with you. So, uh Let's let's talk about the dieta real quick because I wanted to circle back to that. Um, so, do you mind just breaking that down for our audience? No, I really appreciate it. You know, the, it's a confusing thing because of the word. You know, so right off the bat, like diet, we think of eating and what you eat and changing that, and and that's why I choose the word diet when I'm talking about preparation because you know, of course, our health is dependent on our diet, and so if you can make changes. I don't think it's rocket science, you know, like most people have a pretty good understanding of where their weaknesses are and where their strengths could be, you know, how, what, what work they could do. Like if you're eating donuts for breakfast, I don't think anyone's like, what donuts are bad for you? Like, you know, like there's some complexity when you get onto, you know, into the deeper levels, but there's a, a pretty simple idea about what is good for us and what is bad for us. And there's that diet. But like I mentioned, I like the word dieta as a way to distinguish that from a practice that is really important. In fact, it is the most important element of this science that I refer to it, which is often in Spanish referred to as curandorismo, which would be like the science of healing. And to be a curandero or to become a shaman, you do dietas. That is like the way that you become one. And and so a dieta is essentially a relationship building exercise, and it allows you to build an intimate relationship with a specific plant. And so you're dieting that plant, you're doing a dieta with a plant. And ultimately, it is like a relationship contract. Uh, you have a declaration and typically it is negotiated on your behalf by the person that would open the dieta for you and so in that case it would be like um you're almost like your agent but really like if if you wanted a part in a movie and there was a party with a bunch of movie executives you could go by yourself, but chances are you wouldn't be able to engage in a conversation with any of them because they don't know who you are. But if you rolled up with someone that was good friends with all of those executives and that person took you specifically to each person and said, I'd like to introduce you to my friend. He's an actor. He's looking to get into the film business. I can vouch for him. So if there's anything that you can do for him, you know, please help him the way that you would help me. That's what the person who opens your dieta is. And typically that would be your teacher. You know, Don Juan would be opening my dietas. Now I work with Don Enrique and he's been opening my dietas. And, um, and so that is the negotiation there. They would negotiate the terms of the dieta. One key ingredient of that negotiation is how long you're going to do the dieta. And the other elements would be what type of sacrifices you will be making or what you're going to be giving up in return for the benefits that they will provide that the plant spirits will provide and and so then you enter into this period of time known as a dieta usually you avoid 
uh, interaction with as much as possible with other people because you want your focus to be strictly on this relationship and you know you want to be able to demonstrate your commitment and your attention and focus so the same way that we know relationships like if you have your partner your wife your boyfriend girlfriend whatever if you're thinking about them all the time then chances are you have a good relationship provided you're thinking good things right if you're thinking about how terrible they are (laughs) chances are it's not but you know if you're think if you wake up and you're like what can I do for that person today? Chances are you're having a good relationship with them. And if you're thinking about them several times a day, maybe just to send a text or a call, you know, to reach out to them or you write a card or write a poem or you draw a picture for them, you know, then we associate that as a demonstration of love. Like that's good, right? That's the good stuff. So you want to be practicing in that way with this plant spirit too. Luckily, or hopefully the plant would be there, you know, so that you could have a physical interaction with the plant as well. Um, And for that reason, you don't want to be like hanging out with your friends, you know, you because maybe your friends are going to talk about all this other stuff that's going to put all these other ideas in your head, like hours and hours will go by and you haven't had a single thought about the whole reason why you're doing this thing, you know, so for that reason, you're kind of in isolation, typically. Uh, you're excluded from interactions and you try to, you know, have as peaceful a, a, a time as possible. And you're also giving up almost everything in terms of pleasure. So you give up any foods that might bring you pleasure, like rich foods, sweet foods, salty foods, any types of stimulation, uh, sexual stimulation is completely given up. And as a, as a, de- a demonstration of our commitment, Marriage is a great uh, example. You know, you sign a contract in marriage, you sign a contract for your whole life, which maybe could be criticized, but you know, it's a contract. You have to have a person there. It's, it's quite literally like there's a document that you submit for your public registry. And, and in that contract, even though it might not be expressly written, although for some people, especially wealthy people, it is, that there are understood particular behaviors, things that you will be giving up. One of those very obvious things that you're gonna be giving up is intimate relations with anyone but the person you're marrying. That's like a given. And and so, you know, we're, we're well aware of the idea that the depth of your relationships, even if they're friendships, can usually be measured by what you're willing to give up for that person. We're willing to give up the most for our most deepest partners and, and friends. You know, if your friend calls you at three o'clock in the morning and is like, dude, I'm two states away in jail. I need you to drive six hours and bail me out. And you're like, text me the address. I'm on my way. Then, you know, that's a good friend. And, and you're like, well, I was going to hang out today and watch football, but I'm giving all that up because my friend needs me, you know? So it's, it's just an example. Like what we're willing to give up is a perfect demonstration of the depth of a relationship. And so that's played out in the dieta as well. And, um, and once you build those relationships, then it's, I, I love metaphors, as you can tell, it's almost like the godfather of a mafia. Now that's a weird one, but I think it's also one that we can relate to. The godfather is never like some big 
burly brute. Maybe he was when he was younger, but it's just typically kind of this old dude that like a random guy could probably beat up on the street, you know, but his friends, he's got a lot of friends. He's got friends in high places and, and he can get almost anything done because of that, because of those relationships. And so a shaman who is also sometimes like this not so impressively powerful person in their physical stature gains this power because when they start a ceremony and they start to sing those songs, those songs are saying, they're like uh, making the phone calls. It's like, hey, this tree that I dieted, Neuerau, the bioluminescent tree that you mentioned in the beginning, please come to be with me. Hey, Ayoma, this other tree, or hey, Chiriksanango, this other bush, or hey, Marusa, this other bush, or Chuyachaki, this other tree, or Bobansana, all of them, if you've dieted all of them, they're all your friends now. They're all going to come. The spirits of all of those plants are going to come and be with you in the ceremony. And they're all going to actually do the work. So you're kind of doing the work, but really you're the director. You become the conductor and they want to help you because you've demonstrated that you deserve their help, that you're worthy of their help by doing these dietas and, and being willing to demonstrate your determination and commitment through what you've given up in those dietas. And so that's really like what a curandero is and, and how they become a curandero. And, and I, I, I see the term get thrown around and, and mixed up a little bit. So I, I appreciate the opportunity to clarify that more. Doing a dieta kind of puts you on the path to being a healer. And you can't really be a healer without doing dietas. Of course, I can turn into some like pissing match of like, oh, I've done a dieta for two years or, oh, I've done like 25 different dietas, which to me is also pretty useless because it's certainly not about the quantity and everything about the quality. You know, saying that you've been married for 30 years yeah. doesn't really mean shit, <laughs> you know, like. You You're miserable. Like, yeah, I've been married yeah. for 30 years and I still haven't strangled her. I just think about it every night, you know, like <laughs> it, it, the quality of the relationship is far more important than the quantity. And, and that's also like the key element of what a dieta is and, and why they are so important in the tradition. Again, I, I, this is the last time I'll say it, I promise. But I, your way of going about this is what I'm so impressed with because of your understanding, because of your marrying of all of the ideas, and you really get this. So again, I don't recommend people go do this, So, but I'm recommending you because I've been saving that recommendation for you. I definitely highly recommend just based on this conversation, but also researching your work as well. Uh, and what I love about this concept, especially undertaking this form of healing is just what I'll put it separate from uh, the what we've all been exposed to and grew up with. If you're hearing the sound of my voice, you probably, you know, uh, were given Tylenol and things like that to heal yourself. But there's not been the focus on the integration of mind, body and spirit, which it's all necessary. You've got to incorporate everything. And this is what's also so fascinating about this tradition and about this, again, method of healing is because it is very sacrificial in the way that you've got to come to some understandings with yourself that the system in which you were born into, which is not your fault, has been sabotaging your true health your entire life. And the, the way to do it is actually this way, or this is our way to do it that I've 
personally, like I said, found incredibly beneficial uh, and that they don't want you to know about that. So again, if you're kind of on that mental train of uh, media's lying to you, um, Rockefeller's full of shit, then check out this because it resonates with you, if this resonates with you, uh, which I have a feeling a lot of this audience, uh, definitely, man. And the way that you're putting this, the metaphors you're using are perfect. We're big fans of that on this show uh, because it does gain so much clarity. You, you give us a vision of, of what you're articulating. Um, brother, I absolutely adore you like as a person i think that what you're doing is fantastic i love your method and your understanding like you've just got this in my mind when you were describing the uh the shaman for your first experience or your corandero i picture you this way you've got this resolve you've got this energy about you that just seems to embody the the most wonderful representative of this movement that i've met so far i i really do think that you can be trusted with these people to take this sort of healing into their own hands. Again, that's why I'm recommending the hell out of you, man. I'm just incredibly impressed, which is very hard to do, especially when it comes to this stuff, because it's very sacred to me personally, because having experienced it. And I don't want to send somebody to some, you know, gringo shaman that is going to leave him in the jungle. Uh, so again, all the ways to find you will be linked in show notes. Um, I could talk to you forever, but let's go ahead and cap it on this one. Uh, did you have anything else that you'd like to wrap up with before we end? Oh, man. I mean, this is such a deep topic. And I, again, I appreciate so much. And I would love to maybe do a, a round two of this at some point with you. But I, I do want to sum up something. And I, I hope that it's okay to do this because it might take a tiny bit of time. But, um, you know, integration has become a buzzword now which I'm so happy about, but I, I'm not sure how well it's understood uh, what it really means. The idea being, you know, you have a healing experience and then you want to bring that healing experience into your day-to-day -day life uh, is the general idea of it. But how is that done? And, and so I want to present something as a way to break it down, just even if it's just for contemplation without being able to put it into practice because we don't have that much time. But Here's how I break it down. The trinity of reality, as I call it, um, response, interpretation, and memory. So you cannot control what happens to you. You have an experience, but these are the things that are you, your part in that experience. First, you respond to the experience. That is within your power. Second, you interpret the experience. That is also within your power. And third, you remember the experience also within your power. So what you end up remembering is not the experience. You are remembering your interpretation and your interpretation is heavily influenced by how you respond. And that gives us tremendous power because even if something happened 20 years ago, we can change our interpretation which will change our memory. Damn. And when we describe our memory, we are saying it as if it's the truth, but we're actually referring to our interpretation, our true interpretation, but not the experience itself. And by changing our interpretation, we can literally change our past, which does change our reality. If I ask you what reality is, you will give me a collection of your memories as a response. If I ask you what your life is, you will give me a collection of your memories. And what you're actually doing is telling me how you've interpreted your experiences. And you can change how you've interpreted your experiences. And what ayahuasca helps us to do is to bring us out of this 
comfort zone of sensory perceptive ability that creates this novel experience that everything that we think about, everything that we look at is all new. And that frees up the like solidity of those interpretations that we need to reevaluate them. And so we go back and we say, hey, what happened back then? Did I get it right? And in the case of trauma, you didn't. You got it wrong. And not to say that the blame is on you because you were most likely in a hypersensitive state caused by extreme fear at the time. It's totally understandable. But now you're in a hypersensitive state on purpose with intention in the safety of your ceremony. Now I can actually override my interpretation with a more accurate one that allows me to change my memories and change the past. And I will no longer have that infection of inaccurate truths in my belief system be a part of my life moving forward. Does that make sense? Dude, you nailed it. It made the most sense because you're now integrating uh, new paradigms on old traumas. So now you're looking at them and healing them from your past. This is the ultimate time travel type deal because now you're taking, because the only reason that those memories even exist for you is because you bring them to the present now to interpret them. This is freaking brilliant, man. You nailed it with this Uh, because now you're able to see from your new perspective from you're an adult. Now you you've gone through some stuff. You've seen some things you've, you've wised up a little bit to some actions, you know, a little bit, maybe more about your parents at viewing them as an adult. And you can empathize with maybe the way you were treated as a child. And now you heal those things from this current paradigm. You're you're, this is what shadow work is all about. This is the, you know, looking into the past selves of you and finding those traumas. And this is what grandmother ayahuasca does for you. It rummages around inside you and sees what happens. It brings some stuff to light. And that's what the, you know, vomiting or purging of course, is what we're referring to. Uh, That's what that is. It's this, physical expulsion of past trauma that's been enhanced by the plant medicines that have brought it back to you to deal with it in a in a constructive way that now it's not a problem it, and there are so many subconscious things that we're affected by as adults that we don't even realize it this is why i always i i, I suggest if it's right for you it's right for you but that everyone do at least one because there are some things that you're going to figure out in there and once it's in your blood that's it you you carry this spirit with you as a spirit guide so anybody that's with uh, these types of ideas where they're, they're big into spirit guides and uh, manifestation, this is all part of it. This is an accentuation, which this is why it's so exciting that it's coming out during a, I'd say a great awakening or a spiritual renaissance, as you were saying, that definitely a psychedelic renaissance that we've been going through since probably, what, the 80s? I mean, a little bit after Hoffman, but I think that it went more towards the... Uh, party drug type stuff, the frat guys, but, you know, sororities aren't doing ayahuasca uh, and hanging out, you know, for keggers. This is a very personal type of a thing, but God, the integration of past memories, man, I love that. And I, I think that that's one of the most poignant things I've ever heard in my life, especially pertaining to this. Brilliant. Carlos, dude, unbelievable. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it all starts with our ability to respond. And I have a seven-year-old daughter, actually, she turned seven on Monday. And, uh, and that's what I've been teaching her. Like you have a superpower and it's your ability to respond Yep. and you make that decision. And if you ever look at a person's success story, nobody got to their success ending of their story without problems. It was that they responded to those problems. They responded to those challenges and those shitty experiences in a way that led to their success. And that is within all of our power. We have the ability to respond. And that is our true responsibility. 
Carlos Tanner, I, I cannot thank you enough, dude. This has been one of the most incredible conversations I've ever had. You are welcome anytime. Please come back. Uh, no, you're, you're, you're Soul Tribe, I cannot wait to get this out. Uh, this is such beneficial information, and I can't wait to come see you down there. Um, it, I, I just You've left me a little bit speechless, which, again, is very hard to do because I'm very verbose. But, man, I'm just processing all the information that you just said, and I'm incredibly impressed. And I'm grateful that we've had this experience. So now I, I've, you've already altered my perception in the most positive way. So thank you. Beautiful, man. Thanks again for having me on. It was a pleasure. Easily the best representative for the movement that I have spoken to so far, uh, as of yet. Uh, one of the most wisdom-filled, engaging people that have to do with the subject, his awareness of the traditions versus what happens now, the integration into your life is phenomenal. Like I said uh, in the episode, guys, I don't recommend uh, places to go down there because you can't really uh, trust what you're sending people to go do. This is different. This is not that. Go check out the link in the show notes. Uh, make sure to hit him up. If this resonates with you at all, this is the direction I would recommend that you take if my recommendation means anything to you. So uh, definitely check Carlos out in the show notes. Again, guys, um, the music that you're hearing underneath all of this is my good buddy, Vinny the Saint. He's a good friend of mine, makes some incredible music. Make sure you check out the links in the show notes down there for his music and all the ways to find him. Just go say hi. Uh, Vinny would love that. It'd make his day. So um, the show notes also contains the website information for this show in particular. So expandingrealitypodcast.com. Uh, you guys can go there. That's where links to all the socials are. Patreon, uh, the merch for shirts are down there. So y'all make sure you go check out that. Uh, and go out into your week this week, guys. This is a beautiful, magical place. Like I said, if any of this resonates with you, please check the link below. There's, It's not for nothing. There's a reason that this is hitting you the way that it does, and this didn't find you by accident. You called this into your life, and that's why you heard it. So uh, go out into this beautiful place knowing that it's full of magic and knowing that there are so many options for you to heal yourself out here. And, and this is a great one, guys. This is, again, one that I would recommend over anything a pharmaceutical company could give you for sure. Uh, so go out again into this week and uh, just be... Nice to everybody, every animal that you come across. Uh, buy somebody in line behind you a meal or a cup of coffee, a bottle of water. It doesn't take much, but it makes a massive, massive impact. While you're doing all that, of course, uh, get out of that left-hand lane. Any litter you find, snatch that shit up off the ground and throw it away. Uh, and go out into this beautiful place, if nothing else. And y'all just be good to one another. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.